0: Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Wow. Live from the gleaming streamlined studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area, following program produced with an artistic vengeance by Magic Matt Allen on the Outlaw Radio Network. Welcome to America's premier true crime podcast radio broadcast and standard of the industry. True Crime Uncensored. I am the legendary Burl Bear, our fact checker, Mark C.G. Boyer, and joining us through the miracle of telephonics, Daniel Jenis. Oh, it's a pleasure to be back on Outlaw Radio. Thank you so much for having me. That is one of the thrills of someone's career, no no matter what they've accomplished. Being on this program is the pinnacle, the apex, the zenith, the Motorola. Of their career. The the Quasar. (laughs) Quasar, yeah. Does that make me a true criminal? Yes, you are a true criminal. In fact, you have the prison time to prove it.
1: The prison time I do. Ten years, three months, 27 days. You can count it in books. (laughs) 1,046
0: books read. It's a good thing you weren't illiterate.
1: Yes. You know, I did meet illiterate people in prison, and when they were sent to the box, they would go nuts.
0: Yeah, they had nothing to do.
1: Well, they would find something to do. They'd hit their head on the wall. They'd play with their poop, and uh, they weren't even—they couldn't have food because they didn't. The, the authorities didn't want them. Didn't want to fuel the digestive system for the crazies.
0: Yeah.
1: Because if you gave them food to eat, they'd have poop to play with, and then they would cover their window with poop. Or they would throw the poop at at, at people, or whether it's the cops, or...
0: Everybody needs a a hobby.
1: Yes, everyone needs a hobby, uh, but uh, the the way they would avoid uh, them pooping is by giving them something called the loaf. Have you ever heard of it?
0: The loaf, is that like a constipatory uh, item?
1: Well, no, it's just, it's nutritional, it has 2,000 calories in it, which mostly comes from cabbage and baked beans. Right. And yes, it's cold, flavorless, and uh, you don't you barely poop anything from it. So
0: doesn't this amount to cruel and unusual punishment?
1: Well no, because because they figured these people they have people in the box who are already maxed out in every possible way.
0: What do you mean by maxed out?
1: Well, they, they their box time exceeds their prison time. You can't give them any more box time.
0: So they're just in there forever?
1: They're in there forever. If they have a lifelong bid, that means they're in the box until they die. Or they're in the box until they're released from the box. So that means that you can't do anything more to them. You, You run out of punishments for them. But they still find ways to misbehave. Whether it's fighting with their bunkie, or then they take away a bunkie, now they're by themselves... Now they can throw the food or they can they can keep the trays or they can do horrible things with the poop. So the final step is feeding them the loaf. Now here's, here's the interesting part, uh, Burl.
0: As if that's the, about, the other part wasn't. Go ahead, yeah.
1: What about if
0: they're kosher? You have to give them a kosher loaf. That's the,
1: yes. So there was a loophole in the beginning when, guys would get put on the loaf, they would convert to Judaism and demand that they need kosher food, and they couldn't be given the loaf. But then they got uh, the rabbi. I was in the facility where the kosher loaves were baked, and the rabbi for whom I was the clerk was the one who officiated over the cooking of the kosher loaf. Yeah, and I would tell him, I would say, Rabbi, isn't this your opportunity to do something good? You should refuse to do this. And that way, uh, the Jews who are stuck in the box won't be subjected to this horrible food. And uh, the rabbi said he valued his uh, state paycheck more than these supposed principles of mine. <laughs>
0: um, oh, so, uh. What a rabbi, boy. There's an example well, for you.
1: His name was Rabbi Frank. He was actually a pretty good guy, but in the end, something wrong happened. He had a congregation in Ellenville, and, uh. It, unfortunately, he lost his synagogue because of financial mis- misappropriations.
0: Ah. So. Boy. Yes. He's the the anti Semitism so, poster child. Yeah, but listen, so he, he would
1: uh, oversee the baking of the kosher loaf, which meant we had a whole bunch of it around. And we used to toast it and then cover it in butter and eat it ourselves. And I'll tell you, if, you, if it's crispy and buttery, it's really not that bad. I mean, if it's, you know, if it's a cold, horrible lump, it's the only food you get all day, then it's pretty bad. But heated up and with, eaten with butter, it's it's not so soulful.
0: It's not so kosher, then, is it?
1: Why? No, it's not. It's not flesh-shig. It's not. It's not meat. You can add butter to it. Yeah. It's actually par- it's pare because the protein in it
0: comes from beans. Lovely, lovely. What an expiring story of our prison system.
1: <laughs> well, there's going to be a lot more stories uh, in, in in the book I got coming out. I finally have a little. Progress. This has been a god four years now in, in yeah. the process of getting getting this book out. So, at uh, at the end of uh, December, I finally heard the news that Penguin has hired a sensitivity reader for my manuscript.
0: Now, what is that? Like a psychic? Is, <laughs> yes,
1: we got to talk about this. It's not a psychic. It's a sensor. Uh,
0: a sensitivity
1: readers are a new phenomenon in publishing. They've only been around for, you know, maybe three, four years maximum. These are people who read the book and give a report of how offensive it is. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, so a lot. Yes, it's it's in order to for, to uh, you know his, for to stop hystericals, mostly on the uh, liberal side of things, from getting offended. I, I never understood the purpose of it because I figured if you find a book offensive, you could simply uh, not read
0: it. Yes, that's usually the method used.
1: Right, but instead, they spend a couple thousand dollars on hiring somebody who gets professionally offended. So,
0: they
1: have a little... <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to wonder, what are the credentials of the people who are being offended?
0: I'm, a, I'm mean, easily offended. Hire me.
1: Well, if, if the book is about, uh, let's say, you know, L.A. Jew uh, tri- true crime authors, yeah. maybe they would hire you yeah, to see if, if, if the book is offensive to L.A. Jew, Jewish true crime authors, yeah. you know? But in my case, I was afraid since my book touches on all kinds of issues of demographics, mm-hmm. But, you know, because it's divided into 20 chapters And each chapter is kind of devoted To a, a subgroup of prisoners
0: So, the, you know, are you going offense? to offend any of these subgroups? Is that the concern? Right
1: So, you know, there's a chapter called Black is Beautiful There's a chapter called White Power Shower Hour um, You know, there's, there's chapters on gay prisoners Jewish prisoners Every kind of prisoner, right? Yeah.
0: How about uh, so, reformed religion? Reformed Jewish prisoners.
1: Oh, reformed! Actually, this I do. I do talk about reformed Jews because I worked for a reformed uh, Jewish rabbi. Only one existed in the whole state system.
0: Huh.
1: Job. She, she. She got her job through uh, through the courts because they don't hire reformed rabbis.
0: But they only hire Orthodox and conservative.
1: Yes, Orthodox, because Orthodox can minister to reform, but reform cannot do anything for Orthodox Jews.
0: Yeah, that's true. But Rabbi— That's the real truth.
1: <laughs> and she she argued that there's not one female rabbi working in the system, so uh, they need to hire one, and it's her.
2: My She's on a very kind
1: woman. She was rabbis. a great person.
0: I but, bet. Uh, so, so obviously uh, they also have no Reconstructionist rabbis either.
2: Well, I don't they know, know they what those are
0: either.
2: Marker, yeah. oh, but anyway, Burrow. Yes. So the person
1: is from, to be my sensitivity reader, they won't tell me who it is. I can't know the name. I can't know the sex of the person. I can't know how much sex they have.
0: <laughs> well, who? I, none
1: of that. I, with whom, yes. I can't know any of these things. I was told that this is a person who is <laughs> an expert on incarceration and crime. So, in any case, I was terrified because I know that uh, I've been told that that the book will be very offensive to people because you know I mostly say that people who are in prison did crimes, and you know I I don't make any excuses for myself. I I only uh, apologize. You know, I always say that I I deserve to be in prison, and so did a lot of the uh, other people who were there. And that's not a very popular viewpoint, you know? Mm -hmm. It's much more popular these days to assert that people are in prison for reasons other than, I don't know, murder.
0: (laughs) Murder is a pretty severe offense.
1: (laughs) Instead, you hear that people are in prison because of uh, America's systemic issues.
0: Well, I have read, honestly, that up to 60% of people currently in prison actually committed the crime.
1: Oh, bro. Bro. (laughs) Everyone in prison committed the crime. (laughs) If they didn't commit that crime, they committed so many other crimes. You
0: must be guilty of something. Uh, Hold on, hold on a second. Mark Boyer has a question. What happened to you? How did
2: you end up doing your 10 years?
1: A lot of the listeners or people who are my readers, they are very, very well familiar with this story, but it never hurts to uh, tell it again, especially to give Some context, as you said. So, when I was 25 years old, uh, I had been on uh, heroin for about two years. Right after college, I became a junkie, you know. It was a great career move. Yeah. Um, So, it took me two years to really really mess up my life. And uh, my credit cards ran out, and I still had a $100 a day habit. Uh, Pretty much the only smart thing I did in that period of my life was to uh, find a wonderful woman and marry the poor victim.
0: Um, <laughs> yes, I, I know that poor victim she, well.
1: She was, she was my first victim, and she's, she's with me still, my, 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 my victim. Uh, she's she either
0: very right loyal now. or very gullible. I haven't decided which.
1: Very loyal or very gullible. Thank God she's very intelligent and very beautiful. She I, is indeed. I love her. But, so I was completely desperate at the age of 25 it was in the summer of 2003, and I had this crushing heroin habit and no money. I mean, I wasn't, you know, my parents didn't want me at their house. They weren't, you know, supportive. Uh, my, I had just gotten married, but I had already uh, sp- spent a little bit of money that we had. So what did I do? I went out. I, I took my camping uh, knife, which I used to once use as a Boy Scout. And I flashed it at people and said, this is, this is a robbery. And, uh, I did this many times and, uh, many times I got told to get out of here and it it worked. I, I was a very unsuccessful robber, but five times I did manage to, uh, get some, some money from people. They must've been gullible too, because I wasn't a very convincing mugger. However, Three months after doing... So I did this uh, a couple of times in one week in August of 2003, and uh, I had a bit of an epiphany where I realized that I was taking enormous risks for nothing, you know? And uh, I checked myself into detox. I threw away my, my Boy Scout knife, and um, I thought I thought I was okay. I got away with it. But in November of 2003... I got I got uh, arrested, I, I was noticed on the street by, by somebody whom I had robbed, and they, they waited outside Barnes & Noble, uh, I was in Barnes & Noble because I had relapsed, and I went there to uh, steal a book and, and, and uh, shoot some dope, so I walked out of Barnes & Noble, and uh, a bunch of cops jumped on me and said, get on the floor, motherfucker and uh, they arrested me, and that was my last day of freedom for 10
0: years and three months. Uh, how <laughs> yeah. thrilled were you with this turn of events? Oh, my
1: God. But, you know, something, something had to give because um, I, I, was slit, I, I wasn't doing all that great as a clean and sober person. Uh, I was still very young. I, hadn't, I just wasn't mature enough. I, I'm sure that if they, I had not gotten caught, then I would have escalated in my addiction, and uh, maybe I would have OD'd. I certainly would not be married today because she she wouldn't have, uh, you know, she didn't even un- under- understand what was going on for a long time. So, you know, prison definitely changed my, my plans, my my career plans, and put a complete, uh, you know, turn in my life. But after surviving the 10 years with no scar on my face and no irreparable uh, psychological trauma. Uh, nothing bad happened to me in the shower. Uh, I'm uh, I'm a better person today. I mean, I'm, I'm a hell of a lot stronger and tougher. And uh, I also have a career as a writer. In a way, prison took everything away from me, but I took everything I could back.
2: Do well, so you think the sentence was successful?
1: Honestly, I know it will.
2: It was excessive. So the
1: attorney ex- explained it to me. I saw people who had done much worse things than me, uh, because my crime was totally not violent. I never, I never touched anybody, but I, I, I scared people. You know, I saw people who had, you know, carved up someone's face get five years, and I, I, and I had, you know, I had a, a little record for. For uh, drugs, I had a drug record, so I had no violent crimes. So when they when they made it, my sentence was 12 flat, and um, my lawyer explained to me, and she said, uh, did you ever read Bonfire of the Vanity? Now, that's, uh, you know, he recently died. That's that's the great. Um, Bonfire of the Vanities, Burl, who wrote it? Uh,
0: uh, light- I saw the movie, and I read the book about the making of the movie. Tom. T- um, oh, was it? Anyway...
1: Well, Bonfire of the Vanities—they have a concept in it called the Great White Defendant. It's—it's it's when a DA who spends his entire career putting away you know black and brown kids for you know stupid crimes that were avoidable right. finally gets a guilty white defendant. So It's Tom Wolfe's book. Thank Tom you, thank, book you. Book, yes. thank you, Bonfire of Vanities. So. So the gray white defendant is, is uh, what every DA dreams about, a defendant who should have known better because he's educated, he's, he's, he has a family, he comes from, he doesn't have all the uh, obstacles that so many other criminal defendants have. So I was that person since I really did know better. I mean, I was apologizing to people during, during the commission of the crime. That's why they called me the apologetic bandit in the newspaper, because I would, I would say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm not going to hurt you, I'm, I'm really sorry to do this, I just need the money. Um, I guess that's also why they didn't give it to me so many, time, so many times, <laughs> but they didn't take me too seriously. But they had an easy case of me because they had five people who identified me very easily, Uh, and uh, said I was, you know, I was the guy, and I was clearly guilty. So they really maxed out the sentence to teach me a lesson and show that they're not soft on uh, white middle-class defendants.
0: Well, they proved their point. I don't
1: know, uh, did they? Because they still, you know... 99% 99% of my fellow co-defendants were, you know, people from broken families with bad educations who uh, didn't have the options in life that I had. So what did, What happened with that point? Like, what's the point of the point?
0: I don't know. I never did get you know. the point of the point, except uh, you wound up on the edge of the point.
2: Well, I think you pointed did. that out clearly.
0: Yeah. So uh, there you were. When they sent you those 12 users, you go, oh, you go, what am I going to do? Wait for 12 years. I
2: couldn't believe it. I I, I was still
1: hoping for five, but I, I don't know. Everyone around me told me I'd probably get five years. They told me that if I spend enough on a lawyer, I'll get a rehab. Because, you know, people uh, who had committed the same crime, like in, let's say, 1992 instead of 2002, would have definitely not gone to prison. Especially because I never touched, I never hurt anybody. I never touched anybody. And, uh, the crimes were obviously crimes of desperation, and they also showed contrition right at the scene. It's not like I had to apologize later in court. I apologized to my victims uh, right then and there. But all this is, is, shouldn't sound like I'm making excuses because uh, what I did is inexcusable you know, and uh, it, 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 it's, it's a very easy way to induce the shame in me is simply to for me to remember that I scared, scared people. I mean, I was out in the same city that I love, uh, and the, the people who, whom I targeted were people just like me, you know, uh, Manhattan people, like nice people, innocent, innocent people, and I'm, I'm, I'm very ashamed. of of, of the fact I've had people um, who read my articles I had one guy write to me and say that yeah you robbed my my aunt you piece of crap and uh, we don't forgive you you know I never knew whether this was really uh, whether it was true or not but uh, I had to answer that you know I just said well I'm sorry I'm sorry there's no excuse for what I did all I can say is sorry and I know that when this book uh, is released by Penguin, I mean, it's going to be uh, released, I hope, with uh, some fanfare because they've uh, invested a fair amount of money and effort into the book. So I'm expecting that there will be some kind of publicity, and I don't know how much COVID will interfere with everything. I think COVID already set me back many, many months, if yeah. not a year. Yeah. but
0: um, <laughs> I believe that. I totally. Yes.
1: Yeah. But, you know, I, I have a friend whose book came out in March of last year. The exact week that everything got locked down was the week he was having uh, the book release. I was invited. I was supposed to go. And he worked on his book for six years. He had a lot. He had writer's block. I don't want to say, you know, whether it's a good book or a a bad book, but I, I will say this, that coming out in March of 2020 was just about the worst possible time a book could come out because he didn't get to do any kind of, uh, you know, book signings or book readings or anything, uh, I don't know what they're planning with me. Like, like I said, they've invested you know over a hundred thousand dollars into this project already. So uh, I'm assuming there's going to be more in terms of marketing and publicity. But they need a, a live body, and that's you. I, <laughs> that's me. I guess I need to lose some some weight. i
0: you know because yeah, TV is going to add ten pounds to you. I know. I know. Now, last time I saw you, you were getting larger. Well, uh, yeah, well, I, I, I,
1: I think it's, it's been, I mean, I spent the last year at home. You know, it was great um, because my wife worked from home for a large part of the year, and we got, we got to spend so much more time together than we did. You know, think about it. We missed so many uh, years we could have spent together, and the, the year of COVID, everyone always has been saying this is the worst year 2020 was the worst year, but it really wasn't for my wife and myself because we, 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 we weren't broke, you know, and cause she was, she was able to work from home. My freelance, uh, career kind of dried up during this last year. I, I have not found too many places to publish and all the, uh, places I, I used to work for, you know, you know, somebody I, I knew pretty well just died on Christmas. Mm. Um, in fact, this is a person I recommended for this for your show, but uh, it never happened. Uh, Bill, do you remember? Yes. Party Monster?
0: yes, I do. Michael Alec. Yeah.
1: Okay, so Michael Alec actually died on Christmas morning. He overdosed on heroin, and I, I wrote an obituary immediately and I couldn't get the thing published.
0: That's weird.
1: You know, I was willing to even give it up for free because I just wanted, to, because all the articles about him were like, Club Kid Killer finally gets his reward, you know? It's like, they weren't nice articles. And uh, it's not that I wanted to defend him, but I, I wanted to tell the, you know, the story of his life and death. Michael Musto wrote a, a pretty decent uh, article about him for the Daily Beast. And the Daily Beast is one of the places that didn't publish my obituary. So, right, you know. But there's really no freelance money out there, Burl. I used I used to make you know a couple of thousand dollars every every month from articles. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and and uh, I think in 2020 I got my taxes. I think I made a thousand dollars. In, totally, in, uh,
0: yeah. A lot of things dried did, up in 2020. Did, yeah, yeah. And,
1: and people who uh, I know who worked, like my connections, they're on unemployment. What about you, Burl? You, it, you same you Same thing. It's
0: uh, it, uh, when we came out with um, a Betrayal in Blue that actually came out in December of 2016. Time goes by so quickly. Well, it takes a while for those things to gain a little bit of steam. And for a while... Uh, we were getting royalty checks that so were, oh boy. Your royalty checks are
1: fairly beefy. Is that because you don't take advances?
0: Uh, well, yeah, with the uh, Wild Blue, I don't take advances.
1: I see, because with Penguin, I, I did take the advance, but they don't pay it all in one in one lump anymore.
0: You no, know? no, they parcel it out. So
1: mine got parceled out
0: into four
1: segments. Right? Yeah. It's a six-figure advance, but it's in four segments. So, you know, I've been waiting to take my wife to Hawaii for God knows how long because, um, you know, I had to wait for the sensitivity reader and everything. Anyway, but um, now I got my mind split in four because I signed the contract in 2015. But now they um, parcel them out into six pieces. Oh, man. Can you believe that?
0: Yeah, I can believe it. I don't
1: know why. I think it's because they've had so many people who take the advance and then don't give the book, that they want to make the first one, the first payment, as minimal as possible.
0: Now, when I was with Kensington, bless their hearts, and they still send me checks on occasion, uh, they would pay the first payment when they received the photographs because that was always the most important in these true crime books, one of those photographs. Oh, wow. And then they'd pay on delivery of the manuscript and then they'd pay on sure. revision of the manuscript, and then they'd pay right. on publishing or whatever, whatever the structure was. You didn't get it all in one swell food.
1: Does that change when you're uh, when you're <laughs> Stephen King? Yeah. Don't you think Stephen King probably gets his whole advance right, right away? Pro- i just, uh, uh, have to ask him, but uh,
0: I wouldn't be surprised. Well, as you know, it's like it's, uh, you know, uh, was it 20% of the authors get 80% of the promotional budget? You know, whatever it is they're paying, if they're paying big bucks like they are you with this book, uh, you better believe that the promotional budget is going to be equal to the money they've spent so far just preparing it because that's how they're going to make their money back.
1: I hope so. (laughs) I hope so because I I have worked so hard on the text. I mean, I've done so much revision, but I have to say my editor was an absolute genius. He was really, really good.
0: Editors uh, make know, all the, the difference, people. all the difference in the world. I've had some wonderful yeah. editors, and I've had a couple I wanted to track down and shoot, but that would really be true crime.
1: Definitely had magazine editors like that. Um, you know, I, I also have an agent, and, uh, I, you know, maybe one day I'll have a different agent, because there's ideological problems. My my agent was one of the people who felt that my book was offensive. My own
0: agent. <laughs> Well, who cares? If they, it's like the lawyer, that do you think I'm not guilty? No, I think you're guilty, but that's not the point. I'm defending the law, not you. Yeah, you you know that would make sense because she's making fifteen percent, right?
1: Yeah. But uh, but you know, when when you believe in something so strongly that it's faith based,
0: I mean, I think that the entire story of your of your career, your uh, plus, I owe you a, 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 a gratitude for introducing me to punch the uh, world's second greatest diamond thief. He's <laughs> the
1: world's second greatest.
0: Yeah, his father's number one. Really? Yep. Okay. Cool. Uh, so he's proud to be number two. Uh, yes,
1: his, his father was in the in the in the Viscaya heist,
0: right? Uh, well, yeah. What well, that? If that really wasn't a heist, uh, that the true story of that is in the forthcoming book. <laughs> so you do have a forthcoming book with punch? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, Stealing Manhattan? He called. Well, it's called American Panther series. There's actually three three uh, installments. Each about uh, sixty-three thousand words, and uh, uh-huh. part one is called Stealing Manhattan. So you're
1: writing this
0: about Punch? Yeah, about Punch and his father and mother and the Panthers and uh, how they all evolved and all that exciting stuff. And it's just
1: but when will this be coming out?
0: That is a very good question. We uh, we did have uh, one publisher, and I had to stop stop the music. Say, stop. You can't have it yet. You can't have it because we're trying to put together a, a whole package deal. And uh, he's been um, very active as a visual artist. I know. Yes. Yeah, people are actually buying his paintings. Yeah, he loves hey. it. Well, he always was an artist. His father was an artist. It was his mom? And actually, you know what he has? He has that? Andy Warhol's original of the Campbell soup cans. He did a version of that before he did the famous version. Punch has and the punch. has the one before the famous <laughs> version. The one that he did like as a school project. <laughs> Well, how did he come by that? Because his father and Andy Warhol were friends. Interesting. I have but, um, you know that. I yeah, have a question there that, for you. Uh, Mark has a question. He wants to for, grow you like first, a swordfish. I don't, you get to prison,
2: you settle in, and now you have all this free time. Uh, right. uh, other than avoiding, you know, you know, getting beaten up or raped or whatever crap goes on in prison. Uh, what did you do with your free time? Well, okay, so
1: I had first my first prison hobby was bodybuilding. I uh, felt very kind of... You know, I, I've never been a, a, a fighter, and I was surrounded by people who uh, enjoyed fighting, who looked for fights, uh, sometimes for knife fights. Oh. So I kind of felt inadequate, and I thought that uh, I should probably at least look the part. So for four years... I, I, I honed my body into into uh, uh, one big piece of muscle, more or less. And I have some good photographs of that. They're going to be in the in the book, actually, because I have a whole chapter devoted to bodybuilding called "Tan Armor." Um, so I did, did bodybuilding for, for years. I ended up with three slip discs and uh, shoulder problems, you know, because all the equipment was uh, rusty and terrible. Although, when I was in Greenhaven Penitentiary, which is Greenhaven Correctional Facility, mm-hmm. that's exactly where John Gotti did his state time. And the weights that I worked out on were John's weights. Uh. And I, I kept asking, are these really the same weights? the best this guinea bastard was working out on and everyone swore to God they were the exact same way from 1974 when he was in Greenhaven. Uh, you know... Maybe they've been repainted or something, but uh, they were all re-welded. You know, they were all welded together and rusty. Uh, so they did—they did look like they were fifty years old. So I worked out with John Gotti's weights, and I, and, um, I looked—I looked pretty good. Uh, but then I hurt myself so many times that I kind of had to let it go. But my other big project in prison was to read all the biggest, longest, and greatest works of literature. So, uh, as you might know, I kept a list of all the books I read That's why I told Burl in the beginning of the show That you could count my time according to the books I read It's basically a book every three days for ten years So, some of these books were, honestly, were, uh, you know, Alan Moore graphic novels But Others, you know, there's, uh, Proust is in there and James Joyce and all, all the big, long, serious classics. Uh, David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest, you know, uh, Mur- Murakami's 1Q84, all these big books that you never really get a chance in real life to read. I, re- I read, uh, I read the life of Samuel Johnson. I read you know, the whole, all, all of Shakespeare's plays. I read all the Russian uh, classics. I looked for the biggest books I could find to tackle.
2: War and Peace?
1: And yes, War and Peace, which I, which nice I read man. trilingually because I, I, I can read in Russian and French. Which is written in, and I had an English version too, just to make sure. So I read that in three languages at once. I read James Joyce with uh, three guidebooks at my side because understanding. You know, I didn't, I, I, couldn't get through Finnegan's Wake, but I did understand Ulysses, and I thought it was really, really brilliant. Uh, and and you know, Marcel Proust uh, in uh, Remembrance of Lost, seven volumes.
0: Okay, uh, how about Don Quixote? Did you read Don Quixote? I certainly
1: did read Cervantes, yes, Don Quixote. I read, and and I felt like I was sometimes fighting my own windmills.
0: I bet because, you did.
1: Uh, some of the obstacles in prison were actually not not uh, obstacles of malice, or, or they were just you know fighting this horrible ignorance and stupidity. You know, pe- pe- people around me who were angry and frustrated, and. Uh, you know, really, they were often mad at themselves, but they didn't know that, so they took it out on everybody around them. Right. You That's know? very common. Something is not a place of happy people. I mean, I can't... I'm not going to tell you that I was so happy, but I made the best of it. You know, I always just... I'd, I told myself that I put myself here I have to get out of here So you're one of the few people to
0: go to a penitentiary And actually be penitent That's true And it's actually kind of
1: strange Because everybody in prison will initially tell you That they didn't do the crime That they're in for And then tell you how how tough of a crime it was
0: Mm -hmm. They brag in both directions
1: Yes, they brag in both directions They're innocent But it was a really tough you know, yeah, it wasn't was
0: easy doing that crime I didn't do.
1: Yes, and nobody in prison ever smoked
0: crack. They didn't. They well, didn't
1: they, they should have. Everybody was <laughs> crack dealers.
0: A lot <laughs> of crack nobody dealers don't smoke, smoke it though. That's the problem. Yeah. Who are you? Aside from me, who are your favorite authors?
1: Okay. Well, why don't we uh, tighten that up a little by asking me in which genre? Because
0: in which genre I, are your favorite authors? <laughs> I, love,
1: I love Benvenuto Cellini wrote a wonderful book about himself, uh, St. Augustine's Confessions. Uh, are, are Jack Black the, 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 the criminal? Well, I, what I liked best about that book was the introduction by William Burroughs. I, I had quite a, a, a thing for William Burroughs in my youth, and I ended up buying the Jack Black memoir because William. it was published with William Burroughs' uh, 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 introduction and I think notes too, because Burroughs had uh, he had read Jack Black's book. <laughs> I'm talking about did Naked Lunch and junkie?
0: Yeah. Uh, different, di- I prove, different. I can prove th- I can prove I'm a writer. I shot my wife. It was
1: digging to William Burroughs, so my wife read up on William Burroughs, and when she got to that part, she was uh, quite quite concerned. With what well, yeah, what if mind. you
0: want to be a role model? Well, <laughs>
2: Were
1: you able to get through Naked Lunch? Yeah, I got, listen, I read Naked Lunch twice. I read Naked Lunch when I was young, and I was reading it for the uh, scary, crazy parts about about, uh, death and drugs and all all, all the shocking stuff in it, and that's what I got out of it the first time. But the second time I read Naked Lunch, I was over 30, and I was getting all the references a lot more because, first of all, I knew the whole beatnik scene inside and out, And uh, I knew what he was talking about, when he was referencing, his friends. But I also got the literary references. Like, you know, he talks about Rimbaud and things like that. Before, I hadn't, you know, I just simply wasn't well-read enough to catch it all. And that's when I realized that Naked Lunch is very, very funny. Mm
0: -hmm. It's
1: a very funny book. If you watch the um, movie by Cronenberg, uh, which, you know, I like Cronenberg very much but Cronenberg didn't quite convey the humor of Naked Lunch. Well,
0: he's not well, it's son. the same Kronenberg thing with Marquis, Marquis de Sade. Sade. You read Marquis de Sade, it's very funny.
1: Okay, so I read The Thousand and One Nights of Sodom and Gomorrah yeah. by Marquis de Sade and that was so goddamn
0: repetitive. It drove How you nuts, didn't you know, it?
1: Because there's only so many ways you can sodomize somebody.
0: That's right, up above and down below. <laughs> Take your pick. <pay. laughs> Yes. Oh, what's that? Um, Well, there's the other, the other stuff with 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 the female names by Marquita Saad. What's her Julian? What's her name? Justine.
1: Yes, and Justine.
0: Those are hysterically funny.
1: Well, I don't know if Justine is really that funny, but it's uh, it's it, it's okay. I also read, you know, that's the, the 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 Bible of sadism, but I also read about masochism because there was a guy who, uh, who wrote Venus in Furs, mm-hmm. uh, Leopold Sacher Mazach. He was um, from the Austro-Hungarian uh, Empire. You know, that's a very decadent period and very worldly and cosmopolitan. So Venus and Furs is about worshiping, uh, you know, a, a woman becoming a uh, her slave. And yeah, Venus, I see
0: a lot of ads for that the adult section. Wait.
1: Yes. So I read I read the heavy stuff like this, but you have to understand that I, I also, you know, I, I I read comic books too. You know, I love Watchmen and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and. Um, Stuff like that. I mean, I didn't watch TV for ten years. You know, I missed Breaking Bad, and I and I, oh, and I had man. to see all the Sopranos after. You know, I, I just didn't get to see all that. I had to watch the whole Office nine years worth when I, after I got out. Uh, Thirty Rock. You know, there was a lot of good TV that that, that I, I missed. Uh, but now lately, uh, TV has gotten worse again. Because TV was really good about 10 years ago. And now, like, every season on Netflix, when they pick something up, the first season will be good, and then it seems like they just destroy the shows. Almost as if on purpose, they they destroy them by, by adding in all kinds of, you know... I, don't
0: know, I was worried that was going to happen like, with Ozarks, but Ozark, a uh, Season 2 or whatever was better than Season 1 and Season 3. Yeah. Yeah. Ozark just got better. I was really happy no, about that.
1: With, with the, the medium of uh, film, I would really love for a film option to, to happen with, uh, with my work. And it's, it's certainly not impossible. It is a nonfiction memoir, but um, there's no reason for it not to be filmed. And about five years ago, I actually got a, 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 a fan letter from, from Daniel Radcliffe you know Harry Potter. Yeah, and he was interested in in my story. He had this idea that he could uh, play, you know, p- play play a version of me where he would beef up and put on, do the bodybuilding in prison and become muscular. He was at that time. I think he was really trying to get away from well, the no, Harry, Harry Potter, Potter character, yeah, right? Because he was doing all these crazy movies. That's when he did Swiss Army Man. And he did the other movie when he uh, kissed uh, a man. He, he played uh, Allen Ginsberg. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he was making out with some uh, another guy. Oh, and he killed a horse on stage. Yes, I, he oh, he
0: sure that's but, not polite.
1: He contacted me. And, and uh, I was really excited about this. I was supposed to go meet him. And, um, it, you know, in the end he went to London and it didn't, it didn't work out for me. But who who knows, you
0: know? I don't care if they make me a cartoon mouse. Just write the damn check. They want to do a movie version. And they want to make you a a woman who's a lesbian with one leg. And you're only going to the city jail for three weeks. Take the money. And black. And black. Take the money. And don't say a word.
1: I'll I'll definitely take the money. But I do have plans for uh, a follow-up. Uh, which I, I can't get into here, but I, I, you know, I need the book to come out already. I mean, it was, it was finished, you know, in 2017. So let's, you know, there's no reason for this not to move forward. A COVID really,
2: I don't know, is COVID going to end, guys? I mean, yeah, guys well, it retro- keeps
0: mutating. Much, he's mutating much like my career.
2: Well, if you're a conservative, <laughs> the answer is no, because the 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 feeling is that there will never be an
0: end. So the Democrats can stay in control and rule us. <laughs> well, uh, in real yeah, life, however, there's always going to be something. No, no, I think that he,
1: he, he got it on the nose. Uh, COVID does give Democratic power. I mean, I'm not going to uh, turn away the fourteen hundred dollar check. But uh, you know, I had a friend over last night who has never gotten any of the stimulus checks because he makes so much money. I yeah. got eighty
2: six dollars last time. Uh, you
0: got $86. 86 bucks.
2: Why 80, $86? That was well, my portion.
0: My, I'm glad he's making portion. money. We should all be making money. Yeah, well, that it's easier. I just listened to a project. thing on the internet that I got in an email that if I listen to this and I only do 15 minutes a day of sending out links on the internet, I can make 100 to $400 a day just sending out oh, links. Oh,
1: don't. Don't go for that, Burl. That's like when they used to trick people. They said you could work from home if you... Right. Just, you, you fill envelopes and yeah. mail them out. Yeah, lick envelopes.
0: To- <laughs> lick empty yeah, envelopes. Turn-
1: <laughs> and then it turns out there's always LSD on
2: the envelope.
0: I should be so lucky.
2: You <laughs> would enjoy it. You know,
0: I would. Damn right. Person. It's been years. I haven't seen a paisley bro. wall in a long time. So I'll how did
2: the social and, uh
0: how did Solzhenitsyn affect you? Oh, Schultzen- Hes-
2: Schultzen- you, know,
1: Hes- you, you read some material. Oh, like- wow, Solzhenitsyn! I read all of Solzhenitsyn because first I read *Day in the Life* of Ivan Denisovich, but then I read the entire three-volume Gulag Archipelago, and then I read uh, *The Red Circle*, which is three novels. So, I, I, me and Solzhenitsyn go way back. Uh, and reading Solzhenitsyn while being in prison is amazing because I had a really weird experience. I'm sitting in my cell reading in, in oh actually that's not Solzhenitsyn that's Dostoevsky. You know Dostoevsky wrote *House of the Dead*. Also similar, but like Solzhenitsyn about you know life in the camp, a prison camp. And there was a part where he is uh, has this guy who's carving a chess set to sell to him, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm reading this and right in the cell next to me is a guy who's chewing a paper to glue together a paper mache chest set that he hopes to sell to me so that he can pass a pack of cigarettes and get high tonight. Amazing. And I'm not buying this stupid chess set he thinks I am. And, and so I'm reading about something that happened in the 1820s, and the exact same thing is happening to me right at that moment, right next door. Now,
0: there's one thing that I told Mark about on the, in the car on the way here that you haven't mentioned, and that's how you got in trouble for buying something that you shouldn't have bought in prison. Ah, the
1: human the human soul. Let me just finish with Solzhenitsyn, and we can finish on the human soul. All right. With, Sol- with Solzhenitsyn, though... Uh, Reading the entire Gulag Arch- Archipelago,
2: archipelago, a- yeah. You
0: there? There's
2: one very big. Difference you're breaking up. That I'm breaking up.
0: Yeah, I'm keep sorry, going, just- keep going.
2: So, Solzhenitsyn deals
1: with innocent people in prison, much like the uh, literature of the the Holocaust
0: camp. Uh huh.
1: The gulag literature deals with innocent people in prison. And it, it makes a, a big difference because they had it much harder than, than I did. I, I knew why I was in prison. I felt that I deserved to be in prison. And I felt like prison gave me a chance to absolve myself of my crimes. The people who are tortured and murdered in the gulag, or who, you know, I read Primo Levi's, The Drowned and the Saved, and Wiesel's Night. I read the Holocaust books, and I read the Gulag books, because there's a lot of Rush, other Russian Gulag books. There's a guy, Shalamov and there's others. Um, those people were innocent and had to suffer, and they suffered much worse than I did. I mean, I, I, I had extra food, and I, I was the caught. Most of my time, I wasn't. While these people, you know, would actually die of, of hypothermia or starve. You know, mm-hmm. they were
0: starving. They were in. Okay, we're, of, we've, we've run out of time. Oh well. But we will say that you got in trouble right. for buying people's souls in prison.
1: <laughs> yes, because I guess I'm just such a soul brother, you know. <laughs> yeah,
0: I guess you are. Daniel Jenis, when his book comes out, buy it and read it a thousand times. Thank you. And buy it a thousand times. Thank you, Daniel.
2: Hey, what's that? Magic Matt
0: Allen of the Deepest of Decadence, live at the Light of it's My It's Saturday house. night and I'm just hanging out, looking for a place to party.
2: I jumped
1: into my ride and it hits the road, cause there's only one place to go, down to the nightclub,
0: ooh, ooh, ooh. women, you ride, you ready, to the nightclub, we go bump-de-bump-de-bump, bump bump shit
1: To the nightclub, uh huh. You can get what you want if you can know how to slide.
0: To the nightclub, ooh, we be we- sling, sling, slay. slay, slay. All the.
1: To the nightclub, well...